Will you pray with me, please? Eternal Father, You gave to Your incarnate Son the holy name of Jesus to be the sign of our salvation. Plant in every heart, we pray, the love of Him who is the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Well, good morning. It is a real privilege to be here with you, to worship with you this morning, as Kurt said. Um, for a time, this was my home church when I was here, and it was a formative time for me uh, in my call to ministry, and to be able to come back here and see all the changes and uh, how the church has grown is, uh, is a blessing, and so I'm just happy, just happy to be here, and um, that's all I can say at this point. Hopefully this time uh, I won't drop the microphone like I did last time I preached here, so... This morning I'd like to talk, let's start by talking about names, okay? About our concept of names. Now when I think of names and the significance of names, of course, one of the first things that comes to mind is what can happen when you get married? Um, do you change your name? Uh, do you hyphenate? Or do you decide to keep your own name? No matter what you decide to do, if you decide to change it in some way, it's a real, it can be a real hassle because you've got to get your marriage certificate, you've got to send it to you know, your credit card company, you've got to get a new driver's license, and you know, it, the, whole, the whole significance of getting married kind of gets lost in the shuffle of you know, this bureaucratic circle of, okay, I've got to send this here, no, I've got to send this there. The other, another thing I think about is uh, naming children. Why do, we name, why, do, why do we name our children uh, what we do? Maybe we want to name them after uh, somebody in the Bible, Elijah. Uh, somebody in our family who's significant, we want to honor them, or a friend. Or maybe it's just somebody, uh, or maybe it's just a name that we like, that goes well with our last name, uh, which is why I will never name my child Josh, Josh Deluhash. Um, <laughs> there's another idea of names that is a little more serious, and identity theft, where... Someone gets your name and your identification, and now they can get your stuff. They can get all your possessions, and um, just to, to kind of combine this, the name change uh, t- uh, illustration and the identity theft illustration, uh, this last spring, my wife and I, right before we got married, we were at a Chicago coffee shop. Sorry, Chicago coffee, you know. Um, we weren't being faithful to Portland. Anyway, right under our noses, like right, right there, our per- uh, her purse was stolen. And, you know, it had her driver's license in it, and it had her social security number, or, and her, her cell phone. And so, not only were in two months, was she changing her name, but now we've got to send all this information to the credit agency and say, no, 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 Jana Deluhash is the same as Jana Dockler. Uh, it's not, you know, a big scam or anything like that. So, names, lost in the, lost in the shuffle uh, with all these identity theft and so on and so forth. But what about the significance of names in Scripture? In, the, in, in number six, we hear the familiar blessing which uh, Kurt just used for uh, the two children that were dedicated. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is very familiar to us. In the text, it's God telling Moses to tell Aaron and the priests of the children of Israel this is how you are to bless the children of Israel. And the significance is not so much the blessing part, but that the name of God is put on the people. God says, so will 
so will you put my name, my name, on the Israelites, and I will bless them. So there's something about this name, Yahweh, the one true God, that has set the children of Israel apart. Now they're not just this ragtag band of nomads wandering through the desert, but they have been given a name that has set them apart, and their identity is wrapped up in the name of God. It's not something that they chose, but it was something that was placed upon them. Set them apart from other nations and their false gods. And of course, here we are in the season of Christmas. And the baby born in a manger, in a feeding trough, is given the name Jesus. Is there significance in that name? We just sang, Jesus, holy and anointed one, Jesus, Jesus. Well, the name Jesus, as you may know, means God has saved, or specifically Yahweh has saved. So it's the same God who has imprinted his name on the Israelites in number six, is now the same God who has saved, whose name is put on to Jesus. Now there's a more particular significance to this name of Jesus in that Jesus is the hope of Israel. Israel had been through hundreds of years of oppression. Other empires, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and now Rome. And now Caesar Augustus, as you all know from Luke, from Luke 2.1, in those days Caesar Augustus sent a decree that all the world should be taxed and that there would be a census. So this is Caesar saying, okay, this is my domain. I'm going to count. It's like counting all your money. It's like, okay, I've got, you know, I've got this many people in Judea, this many people in France, etc., etc. So it's sort of an assertion of his power and his dominion. And yet, this little baby is born in a manger, and the name of this baby is God has saved. It's the hope of Israel. But we also know that it doesn't just stop there. In the passage from Philippians that we'll read a little bit later, Paul writes that at the name of Jesus, every name shall bow, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, the Son of the Most High. These are names in the first two chapters of Luke that we hear ascribed to Jesus. We call Jesus' birth the Incarnation. I think we've said that word already today in our worship, which essentially means that God became human. God made God's dwelling among us. Jesus was physically born as a baby. It's not just this pie-in-the-sky sort of concept of God, but no, God here, God with us, Emmanuel. The salvation of God, the redemptive work that God does, is fully realized in Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. One person put it that salvation, now this is a little long, so bear with me, salvation embraces, in, in the Gospel of Luke, the idea of salvation embraces life in the present. It restores the integrity of human life. It revitalizes human communities. It sets the cosmos in order and commissions the community of God's people to extend God's grace in practice among themselves and toward ever-widening circles of others. So, in other words, Jesus' salvation that he brought with his birth is inherently social, communal, and political. It's not just about me and God. It's about us and God. It's about some of you and God. It's about the covenant church and God. It's about the church in the United States and God. It's about the church all across the world and God. Salvation is an inherently communal idea and concept. 
and reality. I think sometimes as Christians we are looking for miracles to prove the existence of God. And I don't in any way want to discredit, uh, discredit the existence of miracles, but I would submit to you today that the real sign of God's existence in the world, just as Jesus was a sign of God's existence in the world in a very real and physical way, but the church is the sign of God's existence in the world. The body of Christ. We, as the body of Christ, are called to follow Jesus and to continue to be instruments of God's saving power in the world through our very human, our heads, our hearts, and our hands. And I think this is what it means to be incarnational people. Okay, Gavin, that's great. This is a lot of you know, mumbo-jumbo, what you learn in school. What does this have to do with us here as 21st century Christians here at Some of You Covenant Church? Well, let's go back to um, our earlier discussion about the significance of names. And if you remember, as we said, the name of God was placed on the children of Israel, reforming and reshaping their identity. We, too, have the name Christian, which means little Christ. We bear the name of God in Christ. That's a tall order. So how, how do we be faithful Christians? How do, we, how do we bear witness to the world that God is doing redemptive work? Well, I'd like to talk maybe about three things that are all interrelated that, that do this task. First is what we're doing right here, worshiping God regularly and together. There's no substitute for corporate worship if salvation is a communal act. As um, one of the, you know, in The Purpose Driven Life, when Rick Warren says, it's not about you. Now, what better way to realize that when you're here worshiping God together? And there's people you like, there's people that sometimes get on your skin, but you're all united under a common purpose to worship God and to love each other and to try to figure out what that means to be in a covenant relationship with each other as part of the body of Christ. And we do very physical acts, too, that are signs of our identity in Christ. We take bread and juice, real things. We baptize with real water. These are physical signs of God's presence. Second thing, what does it mean to submit ourselves to the name Christian and the significance of that name? As I said, this is like the Lord imprinting his name on the children of Israel. Christian is not a name that we chose. We may have made a decision for Christ, but we didn't decide, I think I like the name Christian. I think I'll call myself that. That's something that was given to us. There's a whole cloud of witnesses throughout history of people that have gone ahead of us that prepared the way for us to be more faithful followers of Jesus. People like Mary, who faithfully bore Jesus, even though she didn't understand the significance of what was taking place, or at least couldn't explain how she could be you know, with child through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have people like a saint named Athanasius, who was banished several, several times uh, during the early years of Christianity because of this very doctrine of the Incarnation, which was being rooted out. And he stuck firm to this belief, and it's thanks to him that we can talk about this today. And we have people like the very core group of this church, people who met in 1998 with a vision for authentic community here in Portland, Oregon, who came up with the name Summit View, so that this would be a community where people can journey together, where people can go to the mountain of the Lord and learn his ways and share that view with others. 
These are all things that have been given to us, and they aren't things that we chose. What might it mean to be faithful to those names that have been put upon us? And finally, the third thing, we need to get down and get dirty with the very physical work of of spreading the gospel and to give flesh to the name Christian, to be incarnational people. It's It's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Worship of God without care for others is missing something. All right. So, again, a lot of concepts. How do we give flesh to some of the stuff that I'm talking about here? And I'll close with this. I have a teacher at school. His name is John. And John tells a story that illustrates this idea of what it means to be incarnational people in a very specific way. When John's son, Clem, was a teenager, he got in a car accident. And, you know, it was a traumatic experience. He was okay, but that can be a traumatic time for a teen. Sometime later, it was at night, John was laying in bed, and his son came in. He sighed, and he sat down by the bed, and he said, I'm never driving again. And John said, well, why? What happened? He says, I got in another car accident. And he wanted to tell about calling the police, exchanging insurance information, all the stuff that you have to do when you get in a car accident. And he finished, and he looked up at his dad, and he said, do you think less of me? And his dad said, no. In fact, Clem, I think more of you because of how you handled the situation and the responsibility that you took. And then he got out of bed, went over, and gave him a hug. Now the point of this story is is that something was communicated in that hug that was incomplete without it. Something was, if he had just laid there and said, I think, I, I think more of you, something more was communicated the fact that he was willing to get up and give him a hug. There's something about that embrace that communicates something that just our words do not. So I think this, if we take away nothing from today, this is what we need to take away, that just as God became human and embraced this world with very human hands, so too should we embrace this world in our acts of worship, worship that is both divine and human. We need to give flesh to the name Christian to live out the significance of that name whether in our worship here, whether in our lives together, or in service to our neighbors and to our community around us here, my prayer is that we will all bear witness to the truth of the Incarnation, Jesus Christ, God in human form, in our very lives. Thanks be to God. Amen.